This is the Paunch Stevenson Show, paunchstevenson.com, episode 250. Wow! 250! Uh, 250. I, uh, 250. <laughs> I, do people still say that? Fitty? Fitty? I don't think so. I am Rob, you are Greg. Yes! Wild dogs cry out in the night As they go restless longing for some solitary company I know that I must do what's right Sure as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti I seek to cure what's deep inside I mean, I feel like it's kind of fun to have a podcast party. Like, if other people want to drop in, yeah, you'll, you'll forever have me. Yeah, I did. Yeah, he's still doing something. He's finishing uh, cleaning off Greg's cannon card. Oh, I told me you have to do it now. Well, I think it's my computer. He was jumping on the computer. Oh. I my computer into my into a bag inside a bag inside my bag inside my bags. Bag lady. Everybody got like a computer case? I have an amazing computer case from my lovely sister Rosa Vera. There he is! There's the computer case! As if on cue. Hi! Hi, Sam. This is the Greg Ponch Stevenson This is like a podcast room. An echo, like a library. Hi. Welcome to Ponch Stevenson. Stevenson, right? Yeah. Ponch Stevenson. Ponch? Ponch. I guess I've been lost in Ponch. Ponch Jersey. Ponch Stevenson. Yeah, that's the name of the conference. When you look at me, I get cracked up. You what? When you look at me, you throw me off. When I look at you, I throw you off. This is not a good start, then. We're going to have many troubles. I'll just look down. No. Um, the whole trip, it's been like that, or just now? No. Because you, you feel like you look at me a lot and don't laugh in my face in the last 10 days. No, no because the way you just did it was like... Oh, it was an ex expectation. Expecting me to like say something. Mm. I know how that can feel. We could just... Keep it cash, real cash. Take all of our dinner and breakfast and band talks. Alright. That looks nice. That's, I think that's nice. Breath strip? I'm not saying you smell, I'm just offering. 
What do you do with these? I insert two. Yeah. Mom, mom, mom. Show it. Put it on your tongue and it dissolves. You want use one? It's like mouthwash and it's dissolvable strip. It's very clever. It's very smart. That's going to be my new compliment for people from now on. I can't smart. wait to tell my niece Sophia that I look smart. Posh Stevenson show Uganda episode podcast take one. So, We're gonna have to hear yours. Like, no, I, my voice is not high enough for that. I don't think. Uh, so, hi, this is the Paunch Stevenson Show. Um, PaunchStevenson.com, episode 250. Wow! Yeah, it took us nine years, but we're up to 250. That's sick. Um, is 250 like a landmark number? I would say it is. It's a quarter of a minute. Did you line this up special? So it, no, it just cosmically it lined up exactly exactly as it should be. Wow. Which is I'm honored. Thanks. Thank you. Um a foyo mate. A foyo mate. I thought it was mate. 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 Mm-hmm. That's thank you in Luo. The Acholi people have really begun to in Luo speak, but we'll get into that later. You were gonna ask something? And I Oh no, I just said uh was I I can't believe it's actually exactly 250. Oh, right. That's a, that's a landmark. Well, yeah, some people podcast like constantly, like weekly, so they're up to like 3,000. Oh, okay. So, yeah. we, we haven't got that. I mean, I have 10,000 something tweets, if you think about it, but a tweet is much less time consuming right. than a podcast, so it's still pretty fresh. So, uh, real quickly, um, I'm Greg. This is Eliza Bishop. Eliza. And um, Nate Bishop. My brother. <laughs> um, for anyone of the dozens who normally listen or wondering where Rob is, um, we've left him on the, in the airport somewhere, so he's gone. We left a few power bars and some Gatorade. It's cool. Um, okay, so first, people might wonder why are we here. Um, we're in the country of Uganda. It's in Eastern, Southeastern Africa. And the reason we're here is that uh, Eliza's family has started a charity organization called Thrive Gulu, and its basis, its mission is to rehabilitate and help uh, particularly women who are victims of a 20 some odd year war um, that was fought. Uh, one of the sides was Joseph Coney, many people probably know. Um, who's still on the loose? Coney, 2012, Somewhere rebel leader. Yes. Yeah. One of the most mo- wanted men in the world currently for all these war crimes. So uh, you've been here a number of times. This is my first time in Africa. Only the second time in the we in the Eastern Hemisphere. <laughs> What, and yes. we're not really southeastern Africa. We're central okay. eastern, just because my mother's an African politics professor. We're right in from Kenya, right. but central to north, maybe. 
So uh, real quick, a uh, little backstory of why I'm here. Um, many years ago, I was watching a movie, it was called Bye Bye Love, and Miss Dushku was in that movie as a, as a adolescent, I guess. And that was the first, I think that was the first movie I saw you in, and then obviously you were on Buffy the Vampire Slayer a number of times as Faith. And the reason that, I mean, I watch that show anyway, but the reason that I did you, I, I was drawn to you was, well, it's one, it was kind of weird, is that you had like a passing resemblance to one of my cousins. Oh, so wow. when I saw you on there, it was like, it was like, did like a double take. And the other reason is, I'm sure you tried to, but you never really totally got rid of the, the Boston accent. Which is, I think, is really. I, mean, cool I think I've done well when I've needed to. I yeah. mean, you already insulted my Jersey accent, and the film I did with Robert De Niro and James Franco, City by the Sea, told me I slaughtered it. But it's I tried, and it's, it's sort of an East Coast attitude. And when I'm around family, now that I moved back to Boston, it comes back in. Right. No, but you still, even then, you you you've always had that inflection a little bit, and I thought that's cool because. Usually actresses, it doesn't seem like are allowed to do that. It seems like it's just men. Mm-hmm. It's like the New Yorkers or the, the Boston actors or the Southern actors. And some women can do get to do the Southern accent, but it just seems like they're... I mean, were you like told you have to get rid of this? Yeah, I mean, on my first audition when I was... Nate and I had the same commercial agent. Nate had the agent first. We were kids in Watertown, which is right outside Boston. Watertown's become very famous in the recent bombing, um, Boston bombing history. Um, but uh, because the, the Boston bombing brothers were found five blocks from the house I grew up in, my mother's house. But we grew up in Watertown, and we had a commercial agent, Don Raposa, that started to send Nate and me out on auditions. And on my first audition for a feature film, the casting director was a fam- famous casting director, Mally Finn, who passed away in the last few years, but her, I believe her notes were great instincts, fine little actress, horrible New England accent. <laughs> and so when I made it to the next stage and the next stage in screen tests, the biggest thing when they hired me was that they had an acting coach, Belita Marino, that followed me around for about three weeks and was on the entire shoot along with another acting coach, um, and they would zap me every time I said father or here, there. So I had it kicked out of me early, but like I said, when I come home, my mother does not have an accent, my father does. So if I talk to my father, and he's like, sweetheart, it's your father! He almost doesn't understand me when I speak if I don't have the accent. Right. Um... But back to you, what you were saying. <laughs> so how, how did I get here? Um, so you, you've done a lot of crowdsourcing, crowdfunding uh, projects to um, fund Thrive for Blue, for one, and also your, your Albania project, which was a documentary uh, on Albania and that you and Nate went there and shot, and I believe... My father's another country, yes. yes. Yes, and I believe that I think the reward I had was a phone call. And so we spoke on the phone, but it was very choppy for some reason. Is it like a Skype? Yeah, I think you were on Skype, and I was on just a phone, and it was difficult to hear. But um, 
it was cool because I, I did go to the premiere in New York that you had at the Russian Tea Room and saw the film and it was great. You know, I, I didn't know anything about Albania, just the stereotypical, uh, poorly portrayed, taken Albanian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or to Dog, we could start a war in Albania, so no one knows where it is. Yeah. So um, that was really And everyone cool. else will be able to see Dear Albania very soon as well. We've had some technical difficulties and some political difficulties because we shot the film under a completely different um, reign than there is now. We have a changing of the Prime Minister and a changing of the Guard in the middle of <clears throat> our post-production when it was ready. And um, it's been quite a challenge to get all new releases from the Ministry of Culture, from artists, from um, the current Prime Minister, who we don't even know yet, um, but we'd like to meet him soon and hope that he supports our film as much as the previous PM did. But um, we should be on PBS in the coming months. Should be a 2014 release, that's the phone. Um, should have been a 2012 release, but again. But Nate's the director of the project, works tirelessly, works, has worked unbelievably hard. Not a day has gone by where there haven't been three emails on, in my email box from Nate trying to communicate with crazy Albanians. <laughs> um, you know, wondering why we can't get the footage in HD and old archivers footage. And I mean, it's been a tremendous project because we really felt like this is not something we could mess up. This is yeah. not something we could half-ass. Ooh, who's swearing the podcast? Uh, it's fine. This is not something we could half-bake. This needed to be fully baked and very, um, you know, just done right. Process. Process, yeah. But thank you for donating to that. Yeah. I was going to say, I recognize it. It just hit me a few days ago when Mom said your full name. Right, because the Kickstarter has they do all the they sell sheet databases. Oh, um, very great! It came out. I was like, okay, I think he was also a donor to that project as well. Yeah. Well, my friend Rob came with me that night, and he, yeah. he's I think even then he looked like a guy called Caveman. Yeah. So um, somewhere I got. I think I remember him. Hi, Rob. <laughs> a picture. Good look. Yeah. I like that. He hasn't changed. I'm kind of drawn to that look. Yeah, he, he, for a while they were calling him Ben Affleck because he had like the Ben Affleck, um, what was the movie where he's the spying around? Argo. Argo. Yeah, the Argo here, they kept calling him Argo. We um, miss you, Rob. You can come on, we'll come pick you up at the airport and better luck next time on the next trip. <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, so then there was this opportunity to uh, donate um, to the most recent campaign that you had for Thrive. Which was uh, normally you do it for your birthday, and um, so I, after much deliberation, and he's not here right now, but the executive director of Thrive is uh, Rich Purnell, and I don't know how he has any hair in his head after as many questions that I gave him and kept pestering him and everything. And this is a pretty big leap for, for me. I'm not really a big traveler, and especially like to come all the way out here and with people that I don't know. And 
And just to give you a sense, this is the end of, this is the last day of the trip. We've been yeah. traveling now together for about 10 days, and we've been from, we've been from East US, Coast yeah. to Amsterdam to Rwanda to Kampala, drive up to Gulu, drive down through the game park, um, and now well, right we're now, in the hotel. Right now we're in, yes, we're in the Masindi Hotel. We were told it is the oldest hotel in Uganda. It's from like 1923. Hemingway was here. Apparently Hemingway. Pepper. Yes, um, Captain Pepper and, and Humphrey Bogart. And apparently Hemingway crashed his plane twice here. In the span of one week. Yes, and I observed that I think that that was just a landing. The twenties and crash. That's how landings were. Yeah, it's like if you if you would live, it was a landing. <laughs> you died out then it's a crash. But he recuperated in this hotel, and then the hotel was owned by the king, and then it was overtaken by the British, and then it has it's been recently restored, and it's a beautiful hotel, and it's the oldest hotel in Uganda, which is very cool. Right. So. Um, so I decided to come, and you know, I didn't know really what to expect, obviously. And it's been it's been amazing. You tweeted when I actually tweeted when when it was up there, and I said, I think I tweeted out to I was like, how long is it? And you replied, it was like ten to fourteen days the trip, and it will change your life. And I guess that remains to be seen, but I I mean, right now I'm like. Just everything is pretty, pretty amazing, and it's two. There's two parts of it. I mean, there's coming here and, and seeing the, the you know the natural landscape, which you don't, we don't normally see. It's very, very different from uh, Europe or, or North America, and also the people. You know, all of the different women's groups that we've met here. Um, I mean, I think there was one where they came in and they, I mean, almost all of them, they treated us like the Beatles. <laughs> you know, they came, they came out with their dance and singing and, and doing the, uh, the, the, the yell that they do. Totally. I'm not going to do it, but something else. The way we started the podcast, but... <laughs> I mean, and I don't even do it justice. <laughs> no. So, yeah, and there was one where, you know, we're sitting there talking to him, and I just didn't really feel, like, worthy to be there. I'm just, like, Joe Schmo from New Jersey, you know, just showing up, and and these people are in, you know, unfortunately, are in very squalid conditions in many cases. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're, what's the term? They're not dislocated, but they're... Displaced. Displaced, yeah, and, um... You know, they're making do. It's amazing how well that they make do with a simple, simple lifestyle and then find any money. And, and, and what, so what happens with these women's groups is they seem to, there's like about 30 of them, some, some or more, and they come together and they pull all their money and, and they allow them to give out loans and, and try and build houses and, and buy things for the rest of them. And it's such a... Learn how to make things and... Yeah, it's such a... Share foreign, you know, thought to, you know, the Western world nowadays, there's not a lot of community like that. I mean, there is, you know, you know, we have our own public schools and, and you know, social security things and like that, but it's, it's not really the same. I mean, people almost like are obligated to do it, complain about it, and, and 
you know, these people are just. But so it's wealthy. basically strength in numbers, right? right? It's women's empowerment through a group therapy, essentially. And so many of the women and, and just people in Uganda, when they went through this war and when they went through so many, you know, just outright violations of their human rights and their and their bodies and their their lives. It's, they would come home or come out of the bush, so to speak, and we're covering a lot of ground, obviously, in sort of little snippets, but they would come home and they would feel shame or they would feel fear or they didn't know how they would, would be welcomed back into their communities or maybe they weren't welcomed back into their communities because they, of the stigma that they had been child soldiers. So what I love is to hear so many of these women say, I never wanted to leave my hut. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I was alone. I was depressed. I was suicidal. And then when I was pulled into these women's group where we can share and we can learn together and we can dance and we can sing and we can cry and we can learn how to make soap and candles that we can maybe sell in the market, today we feel more whole. Yeah. And I want to say one more thing, which is you're... God bless you, you're so humble and modest, but to say that you felt not worthy, this whole trip was made possible by you and by your donation to Thrive, so we wouldn't be here. And when I said it would change your life, I hope that you really you know, process and absorb how incredible everything you saw happened and came to be because of this donation. It's, it's sometimes hard to think, oh, money isn't everything and money doesn't make things happen, but your every, your hard-earned dollars paid for, the, paid for this trip and gave us the opportunity to be here and do what we did, and if you don't see how valuable that is, then I'm just going to have to shake you a few more times before, I, <laughs> before you get rid of us in a day. That's the truth. That's what's up. We love you. We're really grateful to you. And everybody at Thrive Group is extremely grateful to you. Right. And, and so the second component was... <laughs> right. Greg isn't like talking about himself. Oh, that's just, that's just my Jersey mannerism. It's just a little... I'm surprised by the way you said you're not a big traveler because I think, you know, you did... I mean, not to... We were expecting so much more. <laughs> I mean, you just see and hear stories that, but I think, you know, obviously you have, you know, I would say, I don't know that much about your upbringing, but most definitely um, humble, humble guy, so that's all it really takes, I think, is, you know, that. And that, you have tremendous humanity. Yeah. Which is key. To be able key. to be open-minded and go places and just observe and not try to control the scenario, because things are really hard to do here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, my, my, particularly my grandmothers, both of them have, um, you know, my grandparents grew up in the Depression, so it was very, I mean, it was very scary. They still, they always harbored these kind of um, fears, like they were fearful of everything because of it. You know, they had siblings, infants who died, you know, as they were growing up. And, and in many cases, they were the women who, outlived most of their other siblings. So, I mean, I saw a number of times they basically, it's unfortunate, but like their brothers, sisters, whatever, were in like family health, and they would take care of them. Um, one of my grandmothers actually adopted one of my cousins, actually a couple of them, because um, my aunt 
couldn't, uh, she was, she had a lot of uh, issues and couldn't take care of them, so, um, I just, you know, just saw that, you know, that they weren't really bigoted or anything like that, and they just kind of, just kind of did it, you know, I mean, that's, I guess it's the, you know, they were very, very, very Catholic, and they, they were, you know, they, they live as the, the, the book, essentially, they were supposed to, you know. Some of us, some of us didn't. Good people's gratitude for the things we have and uh, not, um, not um, uh, jealous or envious or in yearning for the things we don't have. Right. And I personally just learned, and I didn't know it my whole life, not because my mother didn't teach me, but because I was a stubborn little thing, that the best way to process gratitude for everything I've been given and every opportunity is to is to give it away. I don't get to keep it unless I give it away and to be of service to people. And my mother the other night and last night in Gulu I think said that. So many people thank her, thank us for what we do, but what you get in return and then you know have the the level of thankfulness that we have to be able to do this this work and to serve is incredible. And you know, we lost. You donated to a really special campaign for Glide that was dedicated to our our Papa Jim, um, our stepdad, who was like our father, and he was a founding member of Thrive with our mother. And everyone who knows him at Thrive knows him as Papa Jim. And um, this is what he wanted at 80 years old. You know, this was this is his and my mother's legacy, really. That after a long and and long and extraordinary lives, they feel that this is the this is the gift, this is the end present in a sense to themselves and processing the grief of Jim. My mother gets to come here and help people and we loved and we made a gazebo that we're dedicating to Jim and he helped build the gazebo. <laughs> Emotional support is key, right? <laughs> um, but that was a very special thing on this trip as well. Right. I did again. Is this, is, this, is this podcast supposed to be a comedy oriented? It, or uh, I guess it normally is, but sorry, so it's, it's good. But I think we're all just funny people at the end yeah. of the day. Well, I mean, I think we're right. So that was the second looking, definitely. <laughs> we're a funny looking group. <laughs> that was the second part that I was gonna mention was Again, without any expectations, you know, I've met Eliza a couple of times, only very briefly. Um, I follow your Twitter and, and, and that kind of thing. So I kind of, I think I kind of get your personality pretty well, but I didn't really know anyone else. And it's, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And, and it wound up that I was basically like, I was on the Dushku family vacation here. Yes. <laughs> That's basically what it was. Crazy, right? Really cool. And um, a few others, a few other extended family. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, all of us were on a family, you know, vacation, which from the story. Right, family is a, it's, Yeah. It's a crazy it's intimate, thing. right? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't the, the Griswold family vacation, but it was very, very, very fun. And I mean, you're all very open and. There's no filter. <laughs> I've realized. And, um, That's not just an act on the Twitter. I really no. am. 
as much of a freak as I put it out there. You get to see me doing my own tweeting and Instagramming for any questioners out there. It's all real deal Holyfield, right? Yeah, I need like a couple of weeks just to like process all of the information that has been shot at me. You got so many good like behind the scenes stories. <laughs> I believe, yeah. I mean, there's just so much material. I mean, real quick, some of the things that, that were... Oh, apparently... It's yeah. <laughs> not going to be that bad. Apparently you had an iguana explode. Sid, I mean, I, we might need to have a moment of silence. <laughs> Sid, uh, Mr. Lee. Mr. Lee, my iguana, when I was a teenager, yes. You don't have to retell the story, but it's just... For, for the imagination, she did. Iguana explode. He was yeah. a good man. He was a good man, Mr. Lee. And In her hands. I was yeah. young. I was um, impatient, and I wanted to meet him in front of my friends and be cool. I mean, who doesn't? And uh, I overdid it. And, and I. You, yeah, so you went to the pet store, they gave the iguana an enema. <laughs> In my hand. It blew up. And he exploded. The two minutes left. Um, yes. I also learned about turning your underwear inside out. Traveler's trick 101. I never knew. Keep yeah. it fresh-ish. Sometimes you gotta change your underwear once or twice a day and then you run yeah. out of clean underwear. So. And it was funny that the night we were talking about it was the night that it was going down for me. Uh, you to know you. Um, well, speaking of singing, um, you all had, had apparently, I, I don't know how you remembered all these Sesame Street songs, because I, I remember nothing. Sesame Street and Mormon kids' church songs, yeah. I, I just put it all out. But you remember them now, don't you? Yeah. Well, we had, in the Catholic upbringing, we had songs, but... They're, they're all, everything had to be like really like choiry. So they weren't like fun for the whole family. No, no. We had bus songs. We were like. Nobody did that. No, on this trip. We had oh yes, we did. Yes. Songs and camp. Toothbrush song. But when you're on a twelve-hour drive, you got to keep yeah. fun and lively. Yep. Although I will say that my grandfather taught me some songs that were that were from the thirties. You held out. I, I'm not going to sing. You still got to sing, Greg. You're on the spot. So he used to do, well, there was one where you know, he had false teeth, and he would do this thing where he was, my grandfather would tease a lot. So he would, like, come up to us and, like, rub his, his stubble on our faces and, like, away. <laughs> and, um, he did this thing where, I don't remember the whole thing, but he'd do, probably, we probably know, but it's probably the, the thing where, like, this, you're, Teeth are like stars that come out at night, kind of a thing, and he, he did that. Because we'd show, show me his false teeth. Knew, knowing that my sister and I and our cousins would get freaked out. That's a good, my grandpa used to do that. That's a good, that's one for the kids. So the one that he said was the, I don't know, it was like a Mr. Brown or the Nickel song or something like that. It's, he used to say, but the kids would, like, when they were doing jump ropes, would say, so it was like, um, Mr. Brown came to town. Mr. Brown had a nickel uh, to buy a pickle. The pickle was sour, so he bought a flower. The flower was dead, so he bought a bed. The bed was broke, so he bought a rope. Uh, now, what was the rest? 
gold. Is it a wrap? another very special guest on the Monch Stevenson podcast show right now. She's been standing by waiting in the wings and I'm gonna I'd like to welcome her at this time with your permission. Of course. And we can actually get that song. Expectations and, and he's just a good dude, right? Well, you get you get used to taking people on trips who sometimes are inflexible and frightened and not brave, and they end up being a lot of trouble on a trip when you're it's six hours to the next stop. So, yeah, I appreciate you very much. Thanks. And also, I'm so I'm so invested in people getting to know our friends in Gulu, that if you take someone to Gulu and they don't seem interested in our friends, it, it's sort of not just sad to me for them, but it also hurts my feelings, because I love the people that we work with there. You were very, you seemed very easy with them. I put Greg on the spot a couple of times, because we were interviewing some women and putting their stories, some of their life stories on tape, and I just turned to Greg and and two other people that were on the trip and said, and now they're going to lead an hour-long discussion, and there you were. <laughs> so, that's literally, I mean, a whole village of women, and we're like, Greg, you got this, buddy? We're going to go and just be, be magic. Yeah, I just kind of asked, well, some, I was provided some questions to ask, and I would ask the question and just kind of sit there, and, and they, it would be translated, and I'd hear a lot of giggling, and... <laughs> And I think some of it was at my expense, but uh, so do you want to do you want to uh, tell us about the, the project? Well, we, we've been saying a long t- for a long time that one of the things that we believe is helpful in healing trauma is to have women or anyone 
tell their stories or part of their life stories and share those stories with others or save those stories so that five years later they can look back at the videos and see how they've changed. And so one of the things that we wanted to do is to get started on some new ways of collecting stories. So each group that we went to, we would, we would invite two women from the group to answer some questions about how they've changed and how they used to be and how they are now. And so we, we would take them away from the main group while they just spontaneously discussed that. What was life like before? And most of them said before I was in this group. And it was very interesting and very touching how much the group means to a lot of them the women there, and then they would talk about what their lives are like today, and you know, we talked about how in many ways they have very little materially, but they've certainly changed in ways that they recognize as being dramatic and dynamic, and they see themselves as people who are making life better for their children, for the, for the group, and for the community. And that's exciting. I'd love to see that. Here, here. And like I said, it's something that we don't really experience in, in the United States because um, if you go back through the last, you know, at the time in which there were recordable you know, technology, World War One, World War II, Vietnam, um, the turn to desert, you know, the Iraq, Afghanistan wars, um, it's, it's soldiers fighting overseas um, for the most part. And so there's not, there's not the same impact never been invaded, so our people don't really have those experiences where, especially women, um, it's just soldiers, really. So we don't really have a situation where women just come outside. It's interesting, though, that sort of was one of the, the things that got my mother into this work and wanting to do this work. I mean, you can share about, we thrived again in 2009 after a trip here, and you can talk about your your interest in return soldiers in the U.S. and how and PTSD. Right. Well, I was a you know, I was a college professor then, and I had a group of students I was taking, and I started thinking about how the news then was so filled with stories about soldiers who came back from Afghanistan and Iraq and had a lot of trouble adjusting and reintegrating into their families, and some of the violence in, in families that was completely un unlike the, the violence that might have occurred had the man not been off in Iraq. And I was curious as to what methods other countries had for looking at ways of overcoming those situations where there's PTSD without the use of a lot of antidepressant drugs and things like that. So I decided I would take some students and we would go and talk to former child soldiers and abducted women and just see what they were, what kinds of things they were using. So it was very instructive to us, and I feel like I learned things that are just now being talked about in some soldier circles, veteran circles. The other thing is, um, when I went to uh, to Google for the first time, I really was looking mostly for child soldiers. And I'm a feminist, and I've worked a lot, a lot with women, but I still thought of the child soldiers as mostly, mostly boys and guys. And I remember when we invited a woman named Sister Rosemary to come and bring some former child soldiers up down to Kampala to talk to us about their experiences, she brought all these young women. And I was, initially I thought, oh no, we've had a misunderstanding. I said I wanted you to bring child soldiers, people who've been abducted and brought into the bush and 
taught to kill and all those things. She said, that's who I brought. There were just as many women as there were men. And they've had other parts of that experience which many men did not have. Most of it had to do with sexual violence. So I learned a lot, and I think that the stories aren't told well enough and deeply enough. And I appreciate your, your sort of supporting that notion that these stories are, are more unique but just as important, and, and we have women that can tell them. Mm-hmm. I love one of the sort of temp poles, I, I guess, is black and white term uh, of the organization is nothing about us without us. And so it wasn't a bunch of Muslim Buddhists, which are white people, Americans um, in Uganda, coming in and saying, this is how we think you should heal, or that, you know, everything about Thrive is non-medical integrated therapy, styles and, and sometimes experiments, but also asking people how they feel they want to be healed. And when we do video footage, it's not, you know, here's what we want you to say. It absolutely comes from, and sometimes there are traditional and tribal ways of healing that we could never even comprehend. I mean, we were having that conversation at the van the other day. I mean, we get so pissed off at someone for cutting us off on the road. We get road rage and, and hold a grudge or resentment for, you know, a long time in a deep way and then you think about someone who's killed someone who's forced to kill their neighbor's entire family and the, or their own family or their own family and how they then have forgiveness and that resiliency within their family and their community to forgive on such a whole you know deep soul level is just astonishing and it teaches me so much and one of the um programs that they're running here is a computer computer literacy program to allow them to do the basics, getting on the internet and email and and Microsoft Office uh, programs, for instance, and I'm from an IT background, so... When you come back, you're going to teach a class, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, I met Chris, who's the local instructor here, and I mean, one of the things that amazed me not just him, but everyone that you meet here is that they're so engaging. You know, they just want to talk and, and they're so friendly. And he in particular, I mean, I was going on and on and on about uh, technologies and things that I do in, in, in my job and, and things that you see in America. And I'm like, and I, I kept stopping. I'm like, do you know do you know what I'm talking about? And somehow he knew. I, I don't know how, but he, he knew the technologies and. And so they're teaching them that there, and that was really, really nice to see, and it's vital. I mean, to do any, even in a country like this, to do anything more than just, you know, regular labor, labor farm labor, um, you know, making uh, things with your hands, you have to have a computer background, and it, from what he was telling me, the nationally there is a requirement to have this computer literacy, but there's really no programs to do it. So it's, you know, of, of the one of the programs that you're offering, I think it's, it's very vital. It's really, really nice to see. And again, I, I saw it on the website, but I didn't think much of it. I'm like, hmm, well, they're, they're offering a computer. And I said, okay, big deal. But then when you, you know, see it in person, and several of the uh, groups that we talked to, several of the people were like, 
you know, we want to get into this program, we can't get into it, and they were very, you know, gun ho about it. People just want, you know, just, we talked about it when he hosted an event with me in Silicon Valley, you know, essentially we're talking about people who have, they've had their identity stolen from them. Um, and part of regaining your identity, as silly as it may sound in today's world, is I want a Facebook account. I want a Gmail account. I want to be able to, sh to communicate and make friends with my, um, you know, with my fellow, my fellow humans <laughs> and connect. And uh, I think that may, again, sound so trivial, but to, to see how much joy and how much, um, you know, what, what a sense of, of identity that can, that can bring to people to, to have those basic things is, is kind of awesome. So I think I've pretty much emptied out my, my cupboard of, of how I, you know, my view on, you know, just how I felt about it. So maybe, I mean, this is your first time in Africa, even though this is a family, Program, you've never really seen it in person. So, so I just think that uh, even in this conversation, and that's part of what this has been about, is just people talking and throwing in their point of view here and there. I'm sure everybody who's listening and watching, you know, has questions or a point of view on this. And what's so interesting to me in this conversation, which I hadn't thought as much about because we're so entrenched in the, the war, the details here is that. We're a war at home too, you know, whether it's, you know, an act of terrorism on our soil or the war that we're involved in in the Middle East and whether the soldiers voluntarily signed up to fight or fought because they felt like they had to because they wanted, they couldn't pay for their own education or whether they were forced to fight as some of the people here have been, um, they, the war ends or the war trip or the war goes on and whether it continues on at the same level or more or less or it ends, that's the time when people need the most help is afterwards. Yes, people have been killed and you may have survived, but what you've seen, what you've gone through, you've either been forced to or you've sacrificed so much. Either you pull yourself out, and these soldiers in America, either they come home because they want to or because they're injured or this or that. They've sacrificed so much and they need help because it does something to you that I think you don't really know unless you talk to them, you know, and you hear what it, what it does and you hear the problems that they face. And that's just something that is hitting me really hard is that you know, war is part of our lives and will always be. Yeah. And, um, you know, we talk about it being a patriotic thing, but whether it's our own soldiers or other soldiers, we're all human beings. And, you know, human humans don't just march on without the help of others. Yeah. It's sort of like after a natural disaster somewhere around the world, particularly in the third world, and everybody rushes, you know, all the celebrities come out and they do a concert, they do a telethon, and everybody rushes and donates millions and millions of dollars, and then it's like, it turns into a slog, and you're like, you know, is anyone really getting this money? I mean, you know, somebody drops all kinds of water and all, and it's good for the immediate aftermath to keep them alive, but then, in, you know, in the future, you know, consistency is so important. Keep it busy and things like that, and lose interest. And, 
So for the for the future, for Ikulo, how can people um, get involved potentially? Well, one thing is that um, we're improving our website all the time, and we know that that's vital, and we hope that there's more fresh new information on after this trip. And um, people can donate, of course. In addition to donating, we're going to have more different kinds of trips. Some of them will be trips where you go and learn more about Thrive and then find, along with our executive director, ways that you can work for Thrive in the United States or come to Gulu and spend some time. And then there are trips which actually we're hopeful will center on projects in Gulu where a group will come and, and build something like this group built the gazebo with help. And uh, you know, some years ago we built some huts um, with help. But those kind of projects are exciting for people and they also bring you right into the into the sort of heart of the communities. Um, one of the nice things about going on a trip like, with, like the ones we have is that is that um, it, it's not like a trip where you're just taking pictures from outside. I was conscious of that when we passed by a village and I thought I knew what was going on behind the huts. Then we pulled the van around, <coughs> excuse me, and parked it and got out. <coughs> and then two children led us down through the huts, through the huts, through the huts, into a place where we were going to meet the women. And when you get into a community, there's so many things that you didn't see from that road that are going on in people's lives. Things like the, the community of, of people who take care of other people's children while the other people's mothers are maybe working in the in the market. And you just don't see those things with the, with the impact and the power that you do when you can actually work on something in the community and where you become a trusted, trusted visitor and helper. So we're going to have more trips like that and and I'd say stay in touch with Rich because Rich has all kinds of ideas for uh, trips that will engage people and bring them there, internships, etc. Because this is a going thing and Thrive's doing well. We are, we are not floundering, we're doing well. We get complimented all the time in Gulu for not packing up our bags after the first year and leaving because many, many NGOs do. So we're there, we're partnering with others and we're happy and our beneficiaries are happy and going forward. It's yeah, good. I'm sure I was going to say, yeah, so go to the website, go to the Facebook page, it's thriveglue.com. Or, or, or thriveglue.org. And that's G-U-L-U. And uh, reach out, because there's somebody on the other hand, other hand who will answer your query. And yeah, be interested and just engage. I have so many people that comments on my Instagram pictures and say, how do I get more involved? I've always wanted to do something like this, but I don't know how. Just be like Greg. Just do it. Just get, just jump in, you know, like be interested. Look at the photos. Share them with your friends. Start conversations. Talk about it. And contact the organization. We're just people and we need, we need help. And so join us, I would say. And just a couple of like fears or myths that people may have about coming to Africa. <laughs> yes. Um, first of all, don't talk about your Ebola that you contracted while you were here. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> we'll keep that. Yeah. There's no Ebola in your car. I, I grew a third arm to hear that. First of all, the food, the, the the food that we ate here in the villages and even in many of the restaurants was. 
out of this world. I mean, that was the thing. Uh, people were telling me, they're like, well, what are you going to eat there? You know, they're not going to have the food that you like there. Blah, blah, blah. And I, it was like I was I actually told the, 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 the people there that, that made the food, I said, this is the best white rice I've had in my entire life. <laughs> the white rice that we eat is terrible. And that was a big thing. And the second thing was that people were like, oh, it's dangerous, it's dangerous. Well, everywhere is dangerous. I, I lived 10, you know, 10 minutes from a city where if I, you know, at a certain place, I could get shot. So it's, it's, it's not that right. dangerous. I just love you so much right now because you're, you're nailing it. That's, that's what's up. And so many people, I mean, it's one thing for us to be like, we were fine, but you just lived it. And I mean, just, I mean, the Ebola. Um, epidemic is off is so awful and 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 I I joked about it but it's not to be joked about but the biggest thing is there were even my friends and even my mother's friends and even the doctors that were giving us vaccinations to come on this trip tried to tried to you know fear us into not coming and I just think it, it's obviously a it's a real issue but it was not an issue here in Uganda and we're talking were entirely across the continent and to have canceled this trip out of the fear of getting Ebola when there's no Ebola in Uganda right now would have, would have been just so heartbreaking because we did so much and, and we were safe and we were, we were nourished. And one of the other reasons real quick that I wanted to come here was I'm, I'm a bit of an astronomy fan of this um, and even though sometimes it gets cloudy here and you can't see anything at night, but there was one night where it was pretty clear and we were able to look and, and I used the Google Sky app. And the power on Oh yeah, so power on I don't think that really made a difference, so I don't know if there's that much light pollution here, but um, yeah, I mean, you could see a lot here versus, you know, having to go out to like the middle of the Mojave or something to get a, a good view. So that's that was amazing. Yeah, we were in an Ethiopian restaurant and we did have a little power outage in the Lulu Strip. And uh, so we went outside and sort of looked up and down the streets and the sky was phenomenal. And your app, your astronomy app worked. And so we were looking at Mars and Saturn hanging out and you know, Sagittarius, all these amazing Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, Mars you can see even where I live. It's the most light polluted place on the planet, but Saturn you cannot see. Yeah, it's friggin' special. Things like that. <laughs> Do you have any more things on your list? Sorry, I know we, we have a tendency to go off book. Mm, the only other thing, oh, I had some, some observations here from just from their culture. Apparently, um, country music is big here, but not like the new stuff. I was told Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers are still huge worldwide. <laughs> Sick, right? Some people just. And um, now one of the bad things is that the television channels here, most of the hotels stink. There's a very little, it's like soccer, news, and a movie channel. And I had some odd Asian porn in my room one night. Really? Like soft porn, but it was surprising, but interesting. Well, soft Asian porn might be very like hard porn. <laughs> Sorry. Stay away. Uh, and then there was a movie channel, and we just happened to be here. And every single night, I think it was a Mad Max movie. On. Nice. It's like a weird it's great. right? Uh, so, the last thing I was going to ask um, was, you have like a million something Twitter followers, right? Point six. <laughs> so, and you know, I have like thirty. So, I was just just wondering. 
Like I have my Twitter set up so that anything happens and it sends me an email, it shows up on the phone, blah, blah, blah. How can you possibly sift through what must be thousands of, of interactions every day? This is something I've actually been thinking about, and I, have, I haven't met someone with that much activity. How did you like see anything? Well, Greg, this is really appropriate timing, but one of my favorite sayings is, how does one eat an elephant? Anyone? Anyone? Well, you eat an elephant one bite at a time! And so you don't let the math, the, you don't let anything overwhelm you, you just do the best. I try to be my best, and I try to, to check in when I can check in. I mean, you've been with us, we get Wi-Fi here and there, we, uh, maybe not, but when I can, and I do, I, I really like the people, and I'm really grateful for all the people that follow my crazy language on Twitter, and um, like my pictures, and, and comment, and, and when I can, I, I reply, and I, I mean, I haven't had, you know, so I've been a little bit, um, off on my, on my responding firsthand, but part of that's because we're traveling and I'm emailing and I'm starting school in two days and going yeah, to okay. college on Thursday morning and get back Wednesday afternoon. And then we're going to a fan convention. Mama G is going to join me at Salt Lake City Comic Con this weekend, the day after starting school and, and, and then coming back. So, so everyone in Salt Lake, I mean, I have this up, I think, but. In Back to the Future sense, everyone in Salt Lake will have the ability to, to meet both of you. Yeah, touch both of you. I mean, I'll kill you. But just to experience the, thank you, the light that is my call of duty. Um, yeah, they will. She actually did an amazing um, panel with me at one of the cons, and people just bugged out. Like, it was Eliza who was Judy, and she was, she's a star. And, um, and yeah, so we, uh, so I, I just I try my best and I and I and I hope people feel that it's genuine and I I love talking to people and getting to know people and respond to people when I can and whether I get through one point six million of them in a day or not is not the priorities. So anybody have anything else to add before we thank you. just thank you, Greg. Thank you. Oh, I'm lost for words. We're going to get back in the car and we're heading home. The last thing I'd say is I wish you had worn your, your goo goo shirt. Oh. Bomb shirt made in the market. Oh, oh yes, that's such great fabric. Striking. Well, I tweeted it. Did you? Oh, good. You did? I haven't, I haven't had Wi Fi since. I left my home in the car last night. Oh, uh, yeah, it was That's great. A lot of likes? Come on. <laughs> I'm going to go like it right now because I know I'm going to already like it. Okay, guys, this is really Eliza Dushku, and you're listening to the Ponch Stevenson Show. That's right. Hey, so it's Greg here at the Paunch Stevenson Show. Uh, it was tremendous to have uh, Eliza and Nate and Judy, uh, the Dushku family, and and to be able to journey halfway around the world with them to such an amazing place, Uganda, and um, and share all the stories and a lot of stories that they t they told me and I totally forgot to mention. 
um, that were kind of funny. So um, we had mentioned my co-host, Rob, uh, who, uh, I, I don't know where he went, but uh, I, I did find him. I had to, to go to customs and pull him out of, like, a suitcase. Oh, man. <clears throat> it was a little cramped in there. What happened? I gave you the plane ticket. You didn't show up. Because it was too expensive, and ah. so I traded it in and just tried to fit in the suitcase. I see. And they put me on the wrong flight. You know how they lose the luggage? Yeah. They lost me. <laughs> anyway, so how was it? Tremendous. <laughs> Tremendous. Uh, fantastic. Uh, exemplary. I've I, I run out of run out of a- adjectives. Um, we are in the Burger King parking lot in Africa. Nah, see, no, nah, but see, we normally do an audio podcast. I don't think anybody really wants to look at us. I've been compared to Joe Mantegna. Well, we don't want to look at them is for the, some is, reason. Is really and he's been is. compared to as the Geico caveman. No, you've been compared to Andy Garcia. I have. And I've been compared to George Harrison. <laughs> George Harrison. <laughs> um, I I prefer to be compared to Joe Mantegna. Why? Because I want everyone to wet their beaks a little. So that's the only re- line I can wet remember of his. Yeah, from Godfather 3. Which was also starred Andy Garcia. So apparently I <laughs> look like everyone that was in Godfather 3. Well, that is true. Al Pacino. Pua! No, I don't look like him. Um, so, I mean, it was fantastic. Um, like I said, a couple of things that I, I forgot to mention. A little um, Eliza Dusku trivia. It's fantastic. Um, yes, uh, Arnold, she did work with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is actually very short in, in real life. He's, he's like five foot one or something. So <laughs> they said they had to like put, like build like a s- separate stage for him to like walk around on. So it looked like he was, <laughs> he was big. taller than everyone else. I said, well, that's why they had to pick Danny DeVito for twins. Right. Oh yeah. It's it's such right. a, such a disparity work. Right. Uh, See, we're we're getting all the behind the scenes, yeah. Uh, you know, celebrity. Uh, not, I think that was, I think it was bird dung. Ah, you just touched. Because look, it's all over the. How is there bird crap in the car? <laughs> <laughs> These birds are going crazy. Anyway, yeah. do you, do you want a towel? I'll clean it later. All right. Boy. Anyway, all right, so Arnold. Yeah, uh, so one of the funny things she told me. Now you're touching. (laughs) Uh, All right, so I've smeared bird crap all over myself now. What can I do? Poop. Feces. All right, so one of the funny things was she told me when she was in high school, she played women's ice hockey. They had I was really surprised. Apparently, it was like it just started when she did it. And um, in Boston. (laughs) In Boston. But, uh, no, no, she, she was in Watertown, Massachusetts. Water, Watertown. Not Boston. I've never heard of it. Why would you? Watertown, uh, is that, is that anything like Ice Village? Or Vaporville? <laughs> no. So, this is what I have to put up with. So, uh, yeah, so she played ice hockey and she said that they weren't supposed to, like, check, which is an ice hockey, you know, you hit the other person, yeah. you check them. No fighting. So she, no she, contact. Yeah, so she said that the other girls kept like doing it to her when the referee wasn't watching. So she would come back and retaliate and get penalized and, and was frequently penalized. So 
Um, that, that was it. Was a really it was a very funny story. I look at her now. Yes, revenge. Yeah. Um. What else? Um. Ice so what I'm thinking now is if 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 Eliza goes and, t- and tweets this out, this episode, we we could go from like three people listening to the audio to like to many, four. right? But maybe like forty. And then, like, video, which we never really... I mean, we have videos on our on our YouTube page, yeah. but we don't really... Quarter million views. Really? On our prank call video. Oh, okay, because the, the prank call. <laughs> uh, so, and, and the Michael Jackson bit. <laughs> right. Who wants to be a millionaire. But now, I mean, now I'm just thinking, like, here... Jeff Sitar, that video, it's like 10,000. Really? Yeah. Safe cracking. People keep, at, like like, putting comments, like... Like, how much is this guy charged? Can he open my safe? Uh, so, what I'm thinking now is is because... Now, I don't know who's going to get to the end of this video. Hopefully they do. But I'm thinking now, we have... We've never had this much exposure before. We have all that... Now, we, we could have a million... You know, Eliza has a million... 1.6 million Twitter followers. Or 1.2 million Facebook followers. If, if half of these people watch this... This podcast right now, we because we never do a video. Half moment. of a percent. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like 5,000 people. So now, I mean, you have this, we have this forum now. You can say anything and half a million people True. will see it. What, what should we say? Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. Oh, no. Oh wait, no, I know. Now that we have this opportunity, the spotlight is on us. We can now finally use take advantage of this opportunity, use this to get our voice acting careers off the ground. Really? Now that some Hollywood oh, insider people, you know, clean now that these people are watching us. So let's go. Let's let's start let's demo some voices. <clears throat> who who can you do? Uh, Sean Connery. Oh, what's the point of voiceover <laughs> for Sean Connery? He's like ninety years old. He's dead. <laughs> exactly. So they're gonna need you to take take over for him. I'll take Schwartz for a thousand, Alex. Billy Connolly. Oh. Billy Connolly. Oh, I believe it. Oh, oh let me tell you. Oh. That's, I don't want to. That's right, love. It's me, Paul McCartney, love. Yeah. And George Harrison. Peace and love. Did you see that, that you know, the, this I, ISIS, these characters out in Iraq now, they're chopping everybody's head off in Iraq? I'm serious. They're chopping comedy. everybody's head off. It's not comedy. This is serious. I know. They're, they're chopping everybody's head off. Right. Um, and apparently because they all have British accents, uh, they took to calling them Jihad John and Paul and Ringo and stuff like that. So Ringo what? Starr came out and was furious well, because he's naturally. like, what about, was there a Pete? Uh, no, that was, <laughs> he got kicked out. <laughs> That's what they chopped, uh, chopped head off of was Pete Best. The Pete Best. They're like, uh, uh, this uh, right here is Pete Best, but chop his head off. <laughs> okay. Any chop of the, head off, any no. of the 1.6 million potential people watching this right now have, we, now we've gone negative. Negative one point six. No, but I'm just saying that Ringo Starr was very upset about this because he's like, well, naturally, you know, the whole time we've only been. Oh, wait, where's my uh, sunglasses? These aren't the Ringo Starr glasses, but 
the Beatles have always been about peace and love, peace and love, and, and you know, serves the opposite antithesis of what the Beatles are all about. By the way, I'm, right. I'm wearing, uh, in case anybody knows, I'm wearing a Rodriguez shirt. That's all right. Rodriguez! Sugar I man. wonder <laughs> how many shirts you have worn. I wonder how many pages you've torn. I wonder. Well, at least it wasn't Sugar Man. I am the Weird Al of Rodriguez parodies. <laughs> but you're not really... Oh, that, that was a parody, though. Normally you just right. screech Sugar Man. No. Spider-Man... Who else? What else? Spider Man. Oh, Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. And He's Eliza Dushku. Still alive and kicking. Yeah. And Eliza Dushku. Yeah, that was one of the things. Eliza was 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 so um, inspired by Stan Lee. He was like ninety five years old. She's like, yeah. It's like look conventions. He's he's always moving. He's moving million miles an hour. It's amazing. And and what? Stand the man! It's me! Nupshed! Alright, what else? What else are we doing here? Rapid fire. Celebrity deaths. What, what are we doing? Oh, then you were going to mention something about Mike Massé, right? Africa? I was singing Africa. Oh, is that what you were singing? Yeah. I mean, you could just, you could use it from the... You could just like do, you know, like that quick edit, like play just Mike Massey at the end. No, I'm yeah, saying, like, take all work. this footage and just boom, like, oh, cut, 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 work. cut. No. All right, let's start over. <laughs> start over? Been recording for 15 uh, so minutes. So what, what will the uh, the theme be then? <clears throat> Toto. No, the, the theme. <laughs> what? The theme will be that. <laughs> I'm doing a Mike Massé. I never did. Uh, I didn't. We didn't start yet. Down in we didn't Africa. start yet. Can you wait so I can? Oh, all right, sh- all right, all right. The plane. I got on the wrong flight and I ended up in in Arizona. Ah, with Steven Seagal and Lou Ferrigno. Steven Seagal's in Arizona now. Yeah, remember he's training the the. It's, never isn't mind. he? No, he's, never mind. He's like, training like an army of German shepherds, isn't he? <laughs> Pedophile. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> but I don't want to just start over. Start over. Yeah. Take two. That's terrible.